but I think if we have a mix of formal corporate conversations and informal conversations, that helps a lot. So I think culture is constantly changing and so we need to be constantly um, listening and speaking the word of God into those changes. So I think if, if um, the passion of the leader is and the vision of the leader is good, but if that leader can bring a core group around them in the ministry that can be used to having conversations about faith, it is a bit uh, easier. Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is fantastic to have you along with us. And as always, I say fantastic to have my two regular co-hosts along with me, Tim and Stu. How are you guys? Very well, thanks, I feel Carl. like you're wearing the same hats that you did in the last episode. Is that true or not? I don't know if it is. I mean, it's my only hat, so it's probably <laughs> so. <laughs> um, youth Works hat, of course. Yes, that's as right. As your uh, other job. You could, you could literally right. say I've got my youth works hat on. I do. Today. I literally have oh, my yeah. youth works with hat on. my youth work. Yes. I yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I need a Sorovival hat to mm. put on on Fridays. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a well. Check out Sorovival.shop if you do want a Sorovival. Oh, that's hat. good. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> but um, yes, we have two: love God, love others, and Jesus changes everything. Hats. If you want to check that out. Anyway, uh, with your Chicago Cubs hat on, yes. Stu, how are you feeling today? Very good. Just you, a, uh, you just play for the Chicago Cubs? Yeah. No. 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 I like underdog teams. Oh yes, yeah, after that because they have they've only won the World Series once, didn't they? Well, well, I think they did back in the 30s as well, or something like that. Okay, but re- in recent times, yeah, one. And um, I just so happened to have caught on to the fact that they were playing in that series, and mm-hmm. I think what did they play? Like five games in the final? Seven. Seven is it? Yeah. So I ended up watching those games mm. at the end of a season and got very excited about mm. um, Wrigley Field and I have, Chicago. I've been there. You have had yeah, it. a good place. Seen it. It's a really good experience. You mm. feel like it's maybe just outside the main area of Chicago, mm. and you travel in there on a on a bus, or you get and you, like there's all these people milling around. It's a really nice experience. And then, as you probably would have seen, the the back wall of Wrigley Field is a big hedge, rather than like it's a huge ah. bushy hedge rather than and they actually have it's so in the city that they actually have people in apartments sell tickets to their um, balconies in order to watch the game. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah, so it's a, it's a um, great experience. Three world title series, according oh. to uh, the internet. World series titles. World series titles. Yep. Yes. Um, 1907, yep. 1908, and then just a small break until 2016. <laughs> That's where I, I think, must have come in. But I think it was, I think, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the longest time any team in baseball had gone between okay. winning series. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. There was a lot of passion, which yeah. is sort of ties mm. in with what we're talking about today. But um, yeah. the fans and supporters were incredibly enthusiastic and I got swept up in that. And um, I support a soccer team that's not doing great at the moment. So, yeah, I'm used to following teams that aren't on the top of the league. So mm. I kind of like the excitement of them winning uh, against the odds. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Yes, uh, uh, it was a really good experience. Make sure you get a hot dog. Are yeah. you there? Well, I'll be going in November, so yeah, yeah Lou's going over for work and we've been very blessed to be able to go over with her. So mm. we there's no baseball on this time of year, but we're going to go to the Wrigley Field, check it oh, out. Oh, yeah, because it it's, um, it's coming up to the end of the playoff series right now, actually, yeah. so that yeah. makes sense. Um, before we start the episode, we're going to talk about um, vision today and passion, as you said, Stu, mm. uh, but we thought we'd have a story or cultural artefact and you threw out one. So I did, from, it's from a, the, um, Would you say your favourite time of... Of your life, the 80s? <laughs> I don't know. It was my favourite time of my life. But it was de- definitely when I was young. And um, I went and saw a movie called Footloose, which is actually a bit of an iconic movie from the 80s. And some of our viewers and listeners may have heard of it. If you haven't, do yourself a favour. Kevin Bacon on mm. fire. Uh, a lot of good music. And the theme of it is about a, a guy who comes into a country town and the uh, any any you know, falls in love with the preacher's daughter and they want to have a dance. And in the town, the preacher has banned dancing because his eldest son had been killed in a car crash on the way to a dance or something like that. So the whole town had overreacted a little bit and stopped dancing. And so the climax of the movie is with Kevin Bacon making a speech in front of all the parish council to ask if they can do a dance and they turn them down. But then this interesting turn of events occurs and they end up having their dance just outside of the the limits of the town and the the preacher and his wife go along to have a listen. And the reason I really like that is 
that um, as a young Christian, I remember being at once really excited about the church and being a Christian. But at, at the other hand, I also felt that sometimes the older generations didn't listen to us. So in our church, we weren't allowed to have guitars and drums in the service for quite a while because there were some at the church who thought that drums were of the devil and that guitars weren't an appropriate way to sing. So there was a resonance with me in that. And in a way, it was like a really early seed of an idea or a thought that maybe as young people we can change things. And so I suppose that's the earliest thinking I probably had as a person that maybe young people can have a voice in the church. So came from a very strange place but yeah 1984 i was in year 10 i think mm. and uh kevin bacon footloose there you go you're right and were you allowed to have dances uh we were at our church but my wife lou who was my girlfriend at the time went to a baptist church in cronulla and they weren't allowed to have dances mm-hmm. but because uh they loved lou so much she went and asked if she could do a bush dance night and they said as long as you call it a bush night not a bush dance night so they had a bush dance but they didn't call it a bush dance. So, oh, that so was it was quite just a night about the bush and then they could have some dancing in it. Well, there was a band and they played <laughs> instruments and people stood around and then moved around. Um, in Got away with the technicality. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a technical <laughs> technical one. But yeah, that was, I mean, that's, it sounds funny talking about it now, but that was a very real thing yeah. in the mm. 1980s. So, uh, and we, we've talked in previous podcasts about the moral majority and stuff and how they reacted to rock and roll and were quite restrictive and about rock and roll and D&D and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, I suppose... Uh, you know, feeling the generation gap uh, back in the day was was a theme in the 80s. And uh, there was a Hoodoo Guru song about the generation gap too. I can't remember what it was called now, probably Generation Gap. But it was, um, yeah, there was a lot of songs about why won't the older generations listen to us. And, uh, yeah, that movie was a really cool example of how a conversation, even though it was a difficult one, took place uh, between young people and older people and they came up with a good result. So, yeah, that's... Because of the passion of Kevin Bacon. There you go. So, and the vision and the leadership <laughs> thanks, of Kevin Bacon. Thanks to Kev. <laughs> or at least the producers of the movie. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask you, off the back of that then, Tim, is what do you think about um, young people having a voice in the church? And I know it's something that we talk about a lot on the Shock Resolver podcast, but even when you were at age, did you want to have a voice in the church? Like, it feels like, I think... God had some ideas for students to start thinking about that, to, that he placed on his heart at, at, <laughs> through Footloose. Through a very strange way. But is that... Okay, that just sounds like a country song. Is that banjo? No, that was the main song, Footloose, Footloose. It like that or the... At the end of it. That sounds like the intro to Friends. It might be. They have repurposed Footloose. There you go. We could do some searching on the internet after this episode. Yeah. Anyway, back to the question. Um, did you feel like you needed to have a voice in the church? Because I feel like at the time, and maybe when I was going to church from year 10 onwards, I, it may have been important to me, but maybe I didn't realise it. I was just wondering if you had the same thought. Yeah, I don't think I was conscious of wanting a voice. Uh, I think the, compared to uh, where we are now culturally, where we have a lot of this sort of, you know, <coughs> Um, internet 2.0 kind of things where you're, we are contributors to the, um, the internet more than uh, you know partakers of the internet. So the first iteration of the internet, we were consumers, mm. um, whereas you know the sort of the 2.0 movement is all about how we get to be contributors. So we get to put art on social media, we get to make YouTube, um, and it's a really interesting point. Yeah. yeah so I mean, I. Um, I grew up in you know 80s, early 90s. Um, was a teenager through the late 90s, and I don't think culturally it was at a point where we expected to have a voice, uh, expected to necessarily contribute. Mm. Um, I certainly don't think that I was uh, angsty about not being heard or anything like that, um, which may have been a number of factors. One again, culturally not being in that um, at the era where we are now, where young even young children are. Ex- yeah, that's their experience is being contributors um, and being public contributors. Um, but also I think because I did grow up at Guymer Anglican where uh, even if the ideas of Soul Revival weren't fully formed in the children's ministry that I was a part of, I was there under the leadership of Stu's dad, Pete, and then coming through into youth group under Stu's leadership, there was already that real heart for genuinely caring and wanting 
young people to be known, be loved, have a sense of belonging and identity within the church. And so that I think is also a um, like a protective factor for young people that, that when they are valued, when they do have a sense of belonging and identity, well beyond their language to express that, mm. uh, they will feel safe in that environment. So I think that's probably my experience there. Um, but as I said, the, I think it is different now. We've now come uh, significant. The technology has come to this place where very young children expect to be contributors in a public way, and expect to have a public voice. Unboxing videos. Yeah, unboxing videos <laughs> like uh, watching, you know, playing Minecraft um, mm, yeah. and watching their peers play Minecraft on YouTube, and just things that. Uh, I struggle to resonate with, um, but just, I mean, it just sounds really inane to me, but also I'm someone who wants to listen to kids and the culture that they're at. So, you know, listen to them talk about these things and have conversations with kids about the YouTube stars that they're into and, um, and how many of them want to be, you know, influencers. They might not use that word, but that's the kind of the idea. They, they want to have a public space. They want to have a public voice, even from a very young age. Uh, and so I think because that's where they are culturally, um, that as churches, if we're not in some ways reflecting that, um, that's going to be a source of frustration for them rather than a space of love. Now, ultimately, the shock absorber principle is not based on responding to this cultural moment and giving them a voice because that's what they expect. We go much further back. We go back right to the words of Jesus, uh, the Bible, the theological principles where you know, Jesus welcomes the little children um, and honours them and respects them uh, and that the importance of that as a church. So it's not a, you know, just a 2020s thing that we're trying to express in the shock absorber. Um, it's much deeper than that. But in this particular moment where we see that that's the world that uh, children are a part of and young people are a part of, um, having already set up for you know, 30 years this year, these ideas of being a shock absorber church where we genuinely listen to the voices of young people, um, I think has, is going to be a place where young people continue to feel known um, because those, the cultural moment and our long-term principles are actually meeting and that's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I reckon that's pretty cool. Uh, any plans on a late stage career move to an influencer, Stu? What would you influence on? <laughs> I think I would... <laughs> I would think I would like to be an influencer on medieval archery. Really? Yes. You would yes, like would to influence medieval archers? Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit late for that. <laughs> I'd like to shoot a 100-pound longbow. Right. 100% there's an audience for that, I reckon. And talk about yeah. how to string it and how to... Would you review different... I think I would, yeah. What's that acronym <clears throat> for the, the role-playing... Real life role playing RPG RPG yeah mm. more yeah. more histo history right. focus for me mm -hmm. less RPG yeah, focus yeah, yeah. so you could go through like different longbows of different could, like different yes. armies yep yeah. Agincourt Crecy yep right up until the sinking of the Mary Rose yep they discovered when they raised the Mary Rose they discovered lots of longbows I could go this through is a great yeah. pitch meeting I think I feel <laughs> like we've we've <laughs> we, we know we're, so you're gonna we we're similar to the American Civil War reenactors yes so you, you get up and again you know. it's sort of less reenacting more talking about the dem demographic representation of archers it okay. was from the peasantry um, giving people who were not in the high castes of medieval Europe an opportunity to participate. Mm. Against a bit of the underdog story, and what would you? A little bit of Robin Hood. If you yeah, okay, uh, take from cubs. the take from the rich, give to the poor. A little <laughs> bit of that vibe. If yeah. you're uh, testing out those longbows, what were you firing the arrows at? Do you like your target? What would your target be? A target, just a target. Yeah, I think oh. so. I, I don't think I need to get too realistic. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, practicing on a straw target would actually be quite uh, interesting. I think yeah. we're going down a very deep at rabbit hole here, but. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm slightly interested yeah, in, in history and, yeah. Well, I think that's really good because it sounds like you've got a real vision for what your for YouTube channel is going to be. Yeah, and that's what we're talking yeah, about today. That's what we're talking about, vision. That's a great segue back. If anybody wants to that. private message me on um, participating on the new YouTube, 100%. the new shock absorber about archery. Shock absorber, shock colon, absorber archery. archery. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just get in touch. The sub thread. Yep. yep. Cool. Um, the reason that we're talking about vision is because that's we've we've talked about uh, breakout churches, the book by Tom Rayner that we've been engaging with over this season, talking about 
building momentum in ministry. And one of the things he talks about is a vision intersection profile, which sounds quite corporate speak, but it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it because he says that churches discover their vision when three factors merge together at an overlapping point. So if you can imagine three circles, the point where they all overlap is where um, the church discovers their vision. And he says the three main circles that would be would be the passion of the church leadership, the passion and gifts of the congregation, and also the third one is meeting the needs of the community. So when they when those things come together, then the visionary churches only pursue a few different areas where they can excel rather than spreading itself thin across a lot of different ministry. There is a I like to get a reaction from you guys, so we'll go um, we had such a great um, description of the YouTube channel that we might let Tim go first on this one. But there's a, uh, an opening statement for reaction for you guys that comes from the book. Without passion, there is no vision. Vision begins with God who gives his direction to those who are passionate about the work of ministry. What do you think? Yeah, look, when I look at the this intersecting Venn diagram of those three aspects, uh, I can understand what he's meaning here, that it's it's not just the leader's passion um passion itself is not enough you, it needs to be directed and it needs to be directed uh towards the resources that you have available and the actual needs of the community so i can see how he's integrating those three things um you know i can be really passionate about a particular uh, well we, we have a language we talk about passion projects so i could have a passion project that i'm really excited about like an archery youtube channel um and i can make you know youtube videos and send them all out there and may not get any followers um and it's kind of like, well that's that was it was passion it was a, there was a personal passion there it was something that excited me i got joy out of doing x um project uh but if it wasn't actually meeting a need um and it wasn't also something that equipped those who are around me and when you talk about churches those who i have a responsibility for i can understand why that that itself is not vision vision is those intersections and so you have this um this idea that uh, uh, vision begins with God who gives his direction. Um, uh, I think, I mean, it, it could sound quite, you know, as, uh, God is speaking directly to me in a sort of audible voice or in a dream, but I don't think that's where he's necessarily going. I think it's when I recognise the place that I'm particularly in, the community that I'm, in the, uh, that I'm a part of and I'm responsible for ministering to, and the people in the church that I have to equip the ministry, the, um, the saints for ministry, as Ephesians 4 talks about, as those three things intersect, and that's where the, the vision comes out of the, all the different things that God has given me. Um, and it's that intersection of, yes, there are going to be things that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, there are going to be particular needs in the community. Um, and there's going to be the personnel, resources and gifts and skills of those in the congregation. Um, and, yeah, we, we do want alignment with those things. Um, because if you get two out of three or one out of three, you're not actually going to be able to do the most effective ministry in the place that God has given you, placed mm. you. Mm. What do you think, Stu? Do you have a reaction to the the line, vision begins with God who gives you direction to those who are passionate about ministry? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, uh, like you said, I think if we were not careful, we could become too corporate with statements like that. But I think it's helpful for me to think about my partnership with the Lord so if Jesus is building his church and he calls us to partner with him as he builds his church I think I'm quite passionate about that and quite excited about it and there are times where my enthusiasm wanes but as a leader it is a very exciting vision for my life to partner with Jesus as he builds his church and uh, in our church we've got our uh, vision statement as Jesus changes everything so I think it really focuses on him and getting excited about what he's doing and partner with him about what he's doing, yeah. And do you think, could, we, could leaders be tempted not to be focusing on um, partnering with Jesus first? Like is it you know, saying, what, what does God actually want me to do here rather than, oh, we, we just need to, are we tempted to just go, well, I just need to do this. There's, there's all these problems and just need to solve them. Yeah, I, I think there's a temptation for leaders to think humanly a bit too much sometimes. Mm. I think sometimes you can be thinking strategies and <coughs> and practical things that you can do, like let's make the car park more accessible, let's you know do good things like you know set up the church so it's comfortable for people to sit on the chairs to listen so they can concentrate, things yep. like that. But sometimes we can focus too much on those things and forget that what we're involved in is a spiritual endeavour. Mm. 
that I think is a really important thing not to lose sight of. Yeah, mm. I feel like it is like we're saying. Yeah, it's the most important thing is to go. Where's Where's God taking His church? Mm. But then it's interesting in breakout churches. It talks about uh, when He describes a breakout church, which is you know to redefine that it's the uh, churches that reach a plateau and then um, accelerate up again in terms of growth. Um, it says that those churches don't didn't agonize in their search for their <coughs> didn't agonize in their search for their vision. It actually discovers them. And I was wondering, what do you? Can you say th- that again? So, the breakout churches don't agonize over the vision. Yep. Those three those three circles that we talked about are intersecting, and so the vision actually discovers them. Is that your experience? Because I remember a story that you've told before is that when in the eighties you were in church, and then all the young people eventually left. Do you yep. think that's possibly when? The you the division discovered you, or what you were trying, what God was trying to do through you yeah, as, a, as a leader. I, I think we've we've talked before about how in the early days we thought the reason people left because we weren't cool enough and the church <laughs> needed to be cooler, and then we discovered uh, fairly quickly that no matter what we did, we couldn't really be that cool, probably because we weren't that cool. And so we turned one night to have a read of the Bible, and we hadn't been trained pro- properly on how to read the Bible properly, really, uh, up until that age because we we're pretty young. Um, but basically we just flicked through the Bible and looking for passages that we liked and God was very kind to us and gracious in that we came across Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40 and the summary of that is that Jesus said what's well Jesus was asked what's the most important thing and he said love God and love others so that was a moment where a light bulb went on for us and I suppose that was a vision moment for the early leaders of Soul Revival there's like four of us me, Lou, Kent and Kylie and we just said, yeah, that's what it's about. Like, put God first and let Jesus teach us how to love God and teach, others, teach us how to love others. And not just people like ourselves, but everyone's our neighbour. So let's try and love everyone. So that was, I think, the beginning of the seed of vision that found us, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. And then um, Raina goes on to talk about once the vision has discovered, that's when the ministry comes out of that. So rather than perhaps you were talking about thinking humanly and like, oh, we should start this vision, we should start, uh, sorry, we should start this ministry, we should start this different ministry. He says that those that um, are able to do the work with God to discover their vision or allow the vision to discover them, that's when the ministries uh, naturally emerge from pursuing that church vision. Um, what is that? Is that something that you see um, happen? And maybe the two. Maybe I'll ask you t- first, Tim. Is it the, the two different things there of like ensuring that you're pursuing the God-given vision that you've been given as a church or just creating new ministries after new ministries. In your experience, have you seen what the difference is between those two and how it plays out in different churches? Yeah, and think in terms of making sure you're keeping on track with God's vision, it's constantly putting what you think you're doing as a church um, under the authority of Scripture. Mm. Um, And that would be, I guess just one thing to build into that idea of, you know, vision discovers us. And even in that intersection of the three circles, you know, the community needs and the passion and gifts of the congregation and even your own passions, each of those can actually be misaligned with kingdom values. Um, You know, Paul reminds Timothy that, you know, be prepared in season and out of season. There's going to be times when people will not want sound doctrine. So if we put too much stake into what the community needs are the community might be demanding things that actually are not aligned with mm-hmm. god with the gospel mm-hmm. and with the kingdom values and so uh it's right to respond to um the community needs um but we want to make sure that all of these things and particularly our vision as we pursue it is under the authority of scripture and we continually come back to that and that's where i think we need to hold our we, we need to be passionate about our vision i think we need to communicate it clearly i think it's great um, when leaders are able to explain the things that they want to do in really clear ways. But uh, knowing that we are fallible people um, and we can't know everything, just holding those visions in loose hands and just being ready to continue to um, hold them up to scrutiny. And so I think that's also then where you come up with these, you know, you can plant lots of good ministries. One of the most helpful things that anyone's ever said to me um, was... Uh, uh, probably about 12, 14 years ago when I was a children's minister at Guy Mere and we were running scripture um, in one of our local primary schools, three local primary schools, but there was one in particular. Um, and I had the great idea, oh, we should run a lunchtime club in the primary school. Um, and I had one of the other 
scripture teachers, uh, a wonderful brother of ours, Brian Archer. Um, and he just kind of talked me through, oh, okay, what would that require? Oh, I would, you know, do this, do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he said, have you got time for this? You know, what does that actually look like in terms of your personal resources, the resources of the church? And I said, oh, like, I don't know how I fit it in, but it's a great idea and we should really do it. Um, and his little word that stuck with me was, we don't have to do every good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really helpful. And I've kind of held that with me as one of these things that there's lots of good things that we can be doing. And in fact, there's going to be far more good things than any one minister, any one church, any one congregation is able to deal with. And that's where holding those two together, that there is a particular um, passion of the minister, uh, particular needs of that congregation, uh, sorry, skills of that congregation, the needs of that community. um, And that will give itself towards some particular ministries um, and the church down the road or the church in the next town or whatever it is will have a different combination of those three things and that's good and actually it's part of the body of Christ yeah. worldwide that is actually given different skills. There's going to be some communities because of where they are that have a really important ministry to homelessness um, because that is a community need of theirs, there's particular skills and resources in there. Um, congregation and a particular passion and it is a good and right thing you hold that under the scrutiny of scripture and say yes we should be clothing those who are in need we should be looking after those who have no homes we should be able to feed those who are in lack that's a great it's a good part of gospel ministry that doesn't mean that it is the marker by which you mark all successful congregations there'll be another congregation has different particular needs different particular passions and so when we think about all the types of things that we could be doing um, we want to hold all of those up. We don't have to say yes to every good idea. Um, it's okay for other churches to have different practical implications of gospel ministry than we have. Um, and it keeps coming back to you let your vision under the authority of scripture refine what you do mm. and also, just as importantly, what you don't do. Mm. I was going to ask you, Stu, as a church leader, uh, if someone in the leadership team or the congregation comes to you an idea for uh, you know, starting a new ministry, what kind of filters do you use to kind of make sure it's kind of matching the vision of soul role? We talked about the importance of strategy uh, behind everything in the previous episodes. Um, how does that play out for you as a leader when we're trying to work out whether we should start a ministry or discontinue a ministry or in, in, in that case? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about gospel ministries, uh, one local community of God's people can't do everything mm. and so while the individuals within a church can have passion prog- projects that they're interested in it doesn't mean that the church necessarily can also jump on board with everybody's passion projects so sometimes people will come and talk to me about things that are really good and sometimes I've got to uh, estimate how much resources we've got for that um, and also how do we how does that align with where we're going uh, in a in a major direction I remember a poster that used to be uh, sold in Christian bookshops in the 90s. I don't know if it still is, but it has that verse, I can do all things. In the, the verse was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in the picture, and it was meant for teenagers, there was a guy on a BMX bike popping a big air over a jump. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if Jesus died on the cross so you could pop big airs, man. So <laughs> I'm not sure that's, that's a great focus. Now, maybe for that dude in the photo, cool. But I think that's also something to keep in mind that, leaders can read almost anything they want to do into the bible mm. so it is a good uh, thing to try and attempt to say what what is the main thrust of the word of god like what is the overarching story of the word of god pointing us towards and as we've had a conversation about that we've been really convicted that our reformed evangelical heritage has also helped to point us to the fact that uh, we are sinners and we need a savior so mark chapter one uh, verse 14 15 and 16 where jesus says you know i've come to bring the kingdom of uh, God repent and believe the good news that's a really helpful uh, marker for us to remember that we're here Jesus is building the kingdom we're partnering with him as he builds the kingdom so talking about Jesus and encouraging people to think about accepting him as Lord and Savior is the main main um, I suppose the main theological thrust we've got that's our why why do we do what we do because Jesus changes everything as we come to him um, so theology like that helps to focus a ministry so you know are we are we helping people to get to meet jesus and growing their relationship with him how are we going to do that well at our church we've 
decided to be an all-age, all-stage church and see that when Jesus says love God and love others, everybody is the other. So we have a strategy of sharing the truth and love of Jesus to everyone everywhere. So that also helps us to frame up what we're going to do in our ministry. So when it comes to our theology, our why, it's Jesus changes everything on the cross when he died and he rose from the dead. Our how we're going to partner with Jesus in building his kingdom, well, we share the truth and love of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. Uh, and that frames up our practice or what do we do? So our what is our, and we've framed that as discipling committed Christians to be on mission together. So if you look at the diagram that you've got in the book, you've got the passion of the leader, the needs of the community in the church and the needs of the community outside the church. I think I frame that up a little bit differently. I think I'd see that first circle as the passion of the leader as directed from scripture thinking through how to contextualize that into a strategy in the context that the church is in mm. so that the practice of discipleship and mission can flow from that. So I think I would change those two bottom circles to discipleship and mission. And so when you think about it that way, I think that really helps to guide. Um, so if someone was to come and say, why don't we build a big BMX dirt bike <laughs> To pop track big out the front of the church to pop big airs because <laughs> we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We, we might ask the question, well, how's that going to point people to the cross? Mm. Um, you know, it, it does answer the question that it reaches some people, but how does that actually relate to others as well as that guy who's popping big airs? And then after we've asked those two questions, we then say, well, is that going to disciple Christians to help them to be better followers of Jesus? And is it going to reach out to others who don't know Jesus? It might just be a fun thing to do. So you, we might go every now and again in the church, let's have a skate ramp or let's put up a basketball hoop so we can hang out together. But it would not be driving our discipleship admission mm. to pop big airs. So I think that's my answer to that. Yeah, yeah it's cool. I mean, uh, when you were saying that, I was thinking that if there are quite a few ministry ideas that come to you, there's um, reasonably regularly you're probably going to have to say no for those reasons that you're talking yeah, about or, yeah. or to massage it in a way that could um, fit with what you're talking about and you said uh, you came out with a line earlier this season of to build momentum in ministry focus on building momentum in relationships first yep. Yep. I was just wondering does if there is a focus on relationships does it make it easier to say no to some ideas and or people won't get less offended when you say no to ideas yeah well Paul says that he he preached the gospel and he shared his life with the Thessalon Thessalonians in uh, chapter 2 verse 8 I think of 1 mm -hmm. Thessalonians Seven, eight, somewhere there, um, and I think I think uh, those two things go hand in hand. That if we preach the gospel and people become Christians, and we're committed to them in a relationship to help them to grow, and then together we're committed to non-Christians in a relationship to help them to to get to know Jesus through hearing the word of God and accepting the message as well. So we become Christians through hearing the message and accepting it, repenting of our sin and believing the gospel. But then as we grow and we're sanctified, we partner with the person as they partner with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit helps grow them to become more like Jesus. And together we invite more people to become Christian. It's a pretty simple framework. Coming back to the saying no, it is, the, it is a hard thing being in leadership that... I'm trying to listen as, you know, the whole shock absorber principle is listening to young people, but also, but, but that works with everyone, like listening to different, you know, listening to older people in their culture and including that, listening to people who are from different contexts who bring new ideas. So there's always listening and trying to listen to the cultural ideas of others and ministry ideas, but trying to then weigh them up with biblical wisdom. That's why we say with a shock absorber that a shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong so i think bringing biblical wisdom to bear i think that's why leaders need to really take seriously studying the bible go to bible college so that they can be in, in, immersed in the vision of god so that when they have those pastoral conversations with people about new ideas there's there's a bringing together of um the wisdom of the word of god and also the fresh ideas from people that come so i find that a balance that sometimes the decision-making processes in that those conversations are more clear and sometimes they're less clear. Sometimes there's conflict involved in that where people get upset if some of their ideas aren't listened to. And so it is a difficult thing for leaders to discern that. But I think if we have a mix of formal corporate conversations and informal conversations, that helps a lot. So I think culture is constantly changing and so we need to be constantly um, listening and speaking the Word of God into those changes. So I think if... if um, 
the passion of the leader is and the vision of the leader is good but if that leader can bring a core group around them in the ministry that can be used to having conversations about faith it is a bit uh, easier and that's not to say that the leader diverges his responsibility to the group to make you know it's not a democracy there is a point where the shepherd does have to say um, make decisions but uh, I think a lot of the time the community of God's people can sit under the word of God and try and work out how to put it into practice together. Mm. But then having having a leader who's passionate about the gospel and focused on that so that it doesn't get blunted by all the different ideas is also really good. Mm. Okay. Well, we were talking um, earlier on about the the, the vision, vision intersection profile, as they call them, and there was those three sections, and I thought it might be worth delving into a little bit more you just mentioned leadership passion there which is one of this is the first one and there's a key quote here from breakout churches which um let's all try and get another reaction from you guys and see what you think um i'll go with tim first if that's all right with you tim Uh, there's a recurring theme that came out from leaders of breakout churches as rainer says in the book if you disciple christians in a biblical manner they will develop into believers for whom evangelism is a regular part of their lives and ministries um, that um, reminds me a lot of what she's talked about uh, in terms of the action being in the church and found that actually spending more time together as Christians actually helped uh, those Christians to um, minister outside the church. Is that, um, what's your, first of all, what are your feelings on that, on that statement first and then maybe we can, we can th- um, thrash around that idea again? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's intuitive really, you know, that... Um, when Jesus uh, gives the Great Commission, he says, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them and, and teaching them all that I've commanded, uh, which is that call for both mission and discipleship caught up there in the same mm-hmm. sentence, which um, shows that they're actually an integrated whole in the way that Jesus thinks about them. And that's why as churches we want to think about them as an integrated whole. We don't think, oh, this is, these are, this is mission over here and this is discipleship over here and they're, they're starkly separate. Like there are times where might, one or two might be more influential than the, or more represented perhaps, but we want to see them as integrated. Um, and that's exactly what this quote is trying to say, that you know, if we do disciple, so if we are teaching people, uh, believers, all that Jesus commanded, then that is a whole host of all of life things, um, you know, how they live in, a, in their marriage, in their parenting, as a child, as an employee, as a civil citizen. Like there's, there's all these things that that will um, cover. Like discipleship is all of life. And one of the things that Jesus told is circular back to go and make disciples of all nations. So if we are discipling people in all the things that Jesus commands, then it's going to help people in all aspects of life and it's going to naturally breed to more evangelism because they'll be discipled into taking Jesus' word seriously. Um, And so it should be a self-fulfilling word in that as we bring people to know Jesus um, for the first time, the great joy that that is and the angels singing in heaven when they, you know, a new person becomes a Christian and then we walk beside them long-term uh, in discipleship, then one of the things that they should see if we are doing good, holistic, biblical discipleship is their need to share that with others who are not yet mm. Christians and to continue that on. So, yeah, I think it, it does make sense. It's... it's um, that's exactly how Jesus wants it to be, that these things are integrated and they continue to cycle around each other. Um, And I do think one of the uh, unique things about the way that um, Stu has phrased ministry over the last 30 years has been this idea that the action is in the church. Mm. Um, And I think that that has been... The, the way it's been phrased and the way that it's been expressed, uh, I haven't seen in many other places. Uh, and what it says is that when I, it's really natural for me when I go and hang out with non-Christians, those who are not yet in faith, um, and I'm talking about my, my weekend, my life, the things that I am excited about, uh, if I am genuinely excited and passionate about my church family, then that will spill over. It'll be come natural that this is the thing that I really value um, and that will spark curiosity Uh, and people if they're wanting to genuinely be in relationship with me will genuinely ask oh that's really interesting tell me more about that and that will start that conversation whereas I think too many Christians um, don't think the action is in the church they think the action is in the world they may know that the church is necessary 
Uh, they may even really value and prioritise their time in church. But if you don't have the mindset that the action is in the church, then it won't come out naturally when we're in one of those conversations mm. with other people and we're more likely to highlight and have conversations about the other things mm. that we did over a weekend, during midweek, afternoons, whatever it is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I do think that it is um, a helpful and a unique way in which mm. um, Soul Revival has phrased ministry. Mm. I'm reminded of the line that you came up with a few series ago or seasons ago was confident Christians. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I think... Uh, that's my next question, I suppose, to you in, in regards to what Tim was talking about is that if uh, does do you think that the leadership team or the leader needs to be passionate about helping develop and disciple confident Christians? Yeah, I mean, going back to the 80s again, I remember if we pick up on the Footloose <laughs> story again, uh, one of the things in Sydney back in the day was that there was this term wallflower for people who went to a dance, which was a wallflower's the people who felt not a lot of confidence to go out and have a dance. So there might be a band playing, but there'd be a whole heap of people standing up against the back wall because they were too cool to dance or they were worried that other people would laugh at them. And um, I remember that movie, uh, Footloose, was so fun because Kevin Bacon didn't care. He just wanted to have fun and he was passionate about it. And I think if the leader isn't confident um, in Jesus and confident in where the church is going, it's going to impact the rest of the church. Uh, there's an old saying that mist from the pulpit creates fog in the congregation. So mist in the pulpit creates fog in the congregation. And I think that means that if the leader isn't 100% clear on where they're going, then then the church is going to be less clear. And so I think there is a need for clarity. Um, I think it's really good for leaders to go through times of questioning and wondering where they're going, but they should do that in team. And it's really mm. important to be mentored and discipled by older people, even key leaders um, in, in our context in the Sydney Anglican Church, rectors, uh, senior ministers. I'm passionate about senior ministers being developed by older Christians, maybe retired ministers or mm. or others who can mentor them. There's, a, there's still not a lot of mentoring happening uh, across the church, I don't think. And so a lot of people are trying to work out what to do in isolation. Um, unfortunately, it's not... Uh, it, it's not a conscious thing often, but sometimes there's an unconscious competitiveness within ministry circles rather than a collegiality. So rather than people working in team together and trying to share their ideas and cherry-picking good ideas from each other, there's a sense of sometimes of competitiveness. So when leaders come together, sometimes at conferences, as well, how's your church going? How many people are coming? And you know those kind of questions can be people sussing out how they're going based on talking to other people. Um, I'm a really big fan of networking, um, leaders networking with each other, being there to support each other and encourage each other because then if there is a moment, or if there's a flat spot in someone's vision, they can be encouraged by contemporaries and others. But also to have a core team in their church that they've given permission to speak into their ministry. I think it's really important for ministers to have trusted confidence within the church that can speak hard words to them as well as encouraging and supportive words so i think you know over my time uh, a great example of that is um we had an elder at guymer anglican church who came around to my place one day in the morning and said i've come around for breakfast and i said to alf i don't have time for breakfast he goes no you need to have breakfast with me and and i'm like alf i'm a bit busy sorry i really would love to but i'm a bit busy and he's like no no you need to have breakfast with me and I'm like, okay. So anyway, we made some bacon and eggs and we're sitting down having bacon and eggs. And he said, Stuart, I want to tell you that I love it that you love the young people of our church. And I'm really excited that your passion for your life is to serve Jesus by loving and serving them and helping them to grow as Christians. But your vision is too small and you don't think about the world. All you think about is our local church and our young people. And I think he was right. I was very passionate about doing ministry in my church but I had lost the sense of the the uh, Catholic Church the fact that we are one church across the whole world through time and um, anyway so Alf suggested a solution he said I'm going to go on a trip to Moree to go and visit an Aboriginal pastor in Moree and I want you to come with me so lo and behold a couple of weeks later I found myself in the car with a 75 year old elder from my church as we drove up to Moree, he shared with me his whole story, which included being a missionary in Papua New Guinea, why he went, what he did, and it just opened up a whole world of new vision and passion for me that um, 
by the time God had introduced us to Isaac and Eileen Gordon soon after that, I think he'd used ALF to prepare us to say, actually, Aboriginal ministry is going to be part of the important passion of the church. So I think that's also a really cool way of seeing passion. It's not just always originating from the leader. It's, it's coming from the Word of God, but also other Christians who are speaking into mm. the life of that leader, helping the leader to not become too narrow or mm. sometimes too broad. It reminds me a lot of, we were, if we're talking about those, those three different sections, part of the vision, um, you're talking more there about community needs or what you turned as, you wanted to rename it as, as mission, and that's what ALF perhaps revealed to you, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think my mission was focused on just the teenagers in our mm. shire, but... Mm. Uh, after that, you know, Isaac and Eileen Gordon, God introduced us to them and then they invited us to come out to Western New South Wales on a river convention, which was a weekend away, a weekend of mission in an Aboriginal communities out Western New South Wales and we came in under his leadership and then within a year I found myself going out to Brewarrina, Gilgandra, Collinabri every long weekend. Mm. So five times a year I was ministering with Isaac in isolated contexts that I would never have gone to and I think God used ALF to prepare my thinking so that I could see that that would be a strategic thing to do that and lo and behold down track we have 20 or so years of partnership with Aboriginal ministries and they've actually influenced us as well so the whole idea of having dinner at church that passion we have for that and the vision we have for that actually came from Aboriginal people so who would have thought that Alf Norman busting into my house and (laughs) telling me that I had to have breakfast with him would have led to such a wonderful Mm. long-term passionate Mm. uh, visionary part of our ministry so yeah. There's a lot of things that we're talking about, isn't allowing God to direct us in the right way and using his people to mm. show us that there's like um, Breakout Churches says for the community needs section or what you termed as mission is that the church has clear and pressing responsibilities beyond its doors mm. to um, go out into the world. And that's what God used those situations for you to, to see. Yeah, that. well, we were going out into the world with teenagers mm. and mm. there was lots of non-Christians becoming Christians it was about they were just broadening of that, yeah right. so God did use ALF to broaden that mm. to see that it was everyone everywhere not just mm. teenagers in the Shire yeah. mm. the final circle or the final area you termed it uh, discipleship or congregation gifts and passion and it talks about how again the intersection of those three things how do you think that what the congregation gifts and passions and what God has um, gifted those people with. We, uh, Tim talked about we're all part of one church and he chooses different people to have different skills and abilities for, for his purposes. And we talked about it a little bit on the previous episode, but how can we help people to um, serve in ministry who or want to serve in ministry discover their gifts and passions? Um, Tim, do you want to go first on that one or is that a... <laughs> Um, I just, I mean, partly it's, again, relational. It's, it's relationships. Mm. And as you get to know people, you find out what they're excited about, the types of opportunities that they have. Um, and so those will develop, in some sense, organically. And I think it's probably a playoff between, um, there's a certain sense where a leader needs to lead a vision and lead people into where they feel convicted the Lord is leading them and their church to go, um, and also being responsive to what people's actual gifts and skills are. And and you work that out through watching them, through giving them a try, letting them experiment, letting them fail, um, and also hearing about their particular circumstances. Um, If you have a number of people in your congregation that are from a particular you know, sector uh, of industry or from or work in a particular geographic area, you might go, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder if there's a purpose behind that, that there's a reason that, you know, a significant number of my parishioners all independently happen to have jobs over in, you know, not in my parish, but over in this area. I wonder if there's a way that we can minister there because they're there anyway. Is there a way that we can help influence? Yeah, you know, so you're working all those kinds of, things out so it's a bit of trial and error it's um, a bit of guidance but uh, also there is a sense where a leader should be calling people towards a vision as well so it's only it's it's both it's not just being responsive to people but it's also saying hey this is a particular need of our community I'd love you to experiment and step in Um, and I'm sure we've all had opportunities where we've had people say oh I'm I'm not good at x um and we just say, well, that's okay, but there, there's a need here. Will you step in? Um, and I think I've shared the story before many, many years ago. Um, I, you know, I was still a teenager, um, but a Saturday night, Soul Revival, 
event um, and one of the, the music leaders, they were going we to do some singing on a Saturday night, John Baldwin, um, and he said, you know, Tim, uh, do you want to play drums tonight? Uh, and I said, I can't play drums. He said, I didn't, know if, I didn't ask if you could. I asked if you wanted to. <laughs> um, and it was just this part of this joyful, he just wanted me to be involved and called me. And it was, you know, it was a lighthearted. And I mean, I, I could play guitar, I could kind of hold a beat. So I, I messed around and we kind of got there in the end. It was nowhere near as good as someone who may have played, you know, touched a drum kit before in their life. But um, part of it was just there's, hey, we'd love to have drums. So there's a particular need for our community right now. Um, in order of our service time together um, and calling me into a need. So there are going to be those times as well where uh, a leader calls people into a vision that they themselves may not have recognised. Um, but I think if we balance those things, two things well, where people's natural gifts, skills, place in the world is and the vision that we feel called mm. to, as we work those things together, I think that part of that is where you know, we discover <laughs> what mm. the opportunities are for our mm. particular group of people. Mm. I have, um, myself have a lot of fun building teams. I like trying to recognise what people are good at. Is that something that you like doing as well, Stu? Yeah, I think so. I, I, th- I really love Ephesians 4 uh, where Paul says there are pastors who raise up people for ministry. So pastors raise up ministers and mm. uh, we're a body. So there's all different kinds of ministries that the body has. There's different you know, arms and legs and feet and hands Um and one of the fun things about being a pastor is facilitating an environment where people can get involved and have a go. And um, there's a bit of, you know, obviously organisation and a bit of responsibility as well, but a lot of fun. And people enjoy building friendships in teams. So I'm a really big fan of building friendships through doing things with people. And if you're friends with Jesus and you're serving Jesus together, that I think builds unreal friendship c.s lewis actually says that when christians stop talking about christian friends stop talking about jesus they actually become less close so i think that's Mm. really interesting uh sometimes people go to church and don't have a lot of confidence in that and feel like they need to meet some christians who are the same age and into the same interests as them and that's okay there's nice stuff about that but it's actually something that brings glory to god when two people who are completely different actually really good friends because they're serving in discipleship and mission Mm. together so i think that's really cool i actually think um from a personal observation i think it takes people about five years to become friends with each other and to get to know each other and i think it takes five years for christians to actually develop enough life experience together or what i like to call a personal bank account with each other that they can then start speaking into each other's lives a bit deeper so one of the things i'm a little bit fearful of in our part of the world at the moment is sydney is a very transient place and people do move churches uh, through their life which is not bad but uh, if people move too often i worry that they're going to just move from one set of superficial relationships in the church to another set of superficial relationships in the church and so it is a good thing for a leader to be committed to the group of people he wants to raise up because i think that uh long-term leadership is not always possible but i think it's preferable in these um in this conversation about vision because it takes a while for people to trust me get to know me for us to think together biblically before we can actually really start working together as a team that is all on the same page so i think um yeah also romans 12 has a similar theme to ephesians 4 in romans 12 talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'd be a living sacrifice uh, it takes a while to actually change the way you think of church rather than what what am i getting out of this church but um, what i'm actually coming to contribute it takes a while for people to think like that and tr- the transformation in thinking through uh, is is through maturing a Christian in Christ through the Bible and it takes a while for that to take place. But once your mind is transformed, the way you put that sacrificial life into practice is through serving together in the body, which is in context of Romans 12. That's the next part of Romans 12 where Paul talks about that we all have different things to give and you learn what the, you have to give by being active in the church. So unfortunately, some models of church are a bit um, like consumer church. You come along and consume an event. But if we can build spaces in the church where people have opportunities to serve at a low level so they can try stuff out before they get too much responsibility. I think that's really healthy. I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think that people being involved in ministry for a while also means that if their life changes, they need to have ministry slide where they can slide out of ministries if they need to for a time or even into different ministries. But we also need to develop ministry grace with each other so that if people are going through a hard time, and they're not performing the usual role that they would have in a church, we don't necessarily move them out of the team straight away. We might say, look, let us love you for a while, even stay in the team. Uh, might be a, 
kids ministry team and someone might be a bit unwell so maybe the kids ministry team could say well keep coming to meetings with us and keep coming yeah. to the prayer time for the kids and keep being our friends until you get better if you do get better and in which case then you can slot back into that role with us and I think that's a very loving way of seeing teams that people matter and it's not the role that someone has that is the important thing it's actually who they are as a child of Christ they're a brother or a sister so putting all that together I think yeah I think there's a lot of joy in doing long-term ministry because Mm -hmm. um, people can actually enter into that for a very long time it can be very fulfilling yeah mm. well as Raina said uh, in breakout churches or what he turned breakout churches the leaders were usually there for 21 years there you go. or more so that mm. that makes a lot of sense what you say um i think finally to wrap up we just um there's this this final thing that i found in this chapter of breakout churches which has said that uh, Rainus surveyed 427 church leaders in regards to uh, many things throughout the book but then said that only six percent of that 427 leaders surveyed um, felt that they had a leader who is clearly passionate about the work of ministry. Um, And I think this is something that uh, you guys have a lot more experience in and understanding, but some of the reasons that they said the reason that that might be the case, that there's not a lot of passion. So if we're going back to the opening statement that I asked you guys uh, where Rainer said, if there's no passion, there's no vision. So some of the reasons that he said was that, uh, they just feel, leaders feel like they just need to survive. Um, it, they don't want to create too much resistance. They want to avoid conflict, um, or they're more interested in self promoting, promoting themselves, or they're scared of failure. I'm just wondering if, if there are leaders listening to this and they feel like they're lacking some passion, what would be your encouragement to them um, if that's the way they're thinking, and they 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 perhaps feel like I'm not even casting a vision that I perhaps should be as a leader. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think the when I look at that list um, and I think about what each of those represent, it's a looking for affirmation and validation in worldly senses, mm-hmm. whether it be recognition or uh, not resistance, but actually traction with your people. Um, you know, survival. I mean, there's people who um, you know stay at churches. Uh, because they just they genuinely don't know what else they could be employed as, and so this is paying the bills. And even if they've lost their passion for it, if they're not passionate about it, um, they continue in ministry because they don't know what the alternative might be, um, and that's really sad. You know, there's, so there's all those kinds of things, and each of these, um, I think, for me, I look at these. The fundamental issue is there's a not finding our validation in who we are in Christ. Uh, and I think that as I read you know, the New Testament, I think about Paul's ministry, there's lots of hardships that he faced. You know, he faced resistance, he faced stonings and shipwrecks and being cast out and being thought for dead and yeah. you know, all sorts of things, imprisoned multiple times and um, executed for being a Christian. And so it wasn't that everything was you know, sunny days for him. But he had this really strong conviction of who he was in Christ um, and the passion that he tries to pass on to Timothy in that you know, letter I mentioned earlier, that he's, it's all about recognising that this is God's work that we're doing. My validation comes from being in Christ uh, and it's his opinion that largely matters. And that's why we keep bringing all these visions under the scrutiny of Scripture but when we have done that and we can recognise that, no, what I am doing is, as best as I'm able, what God calls of me to do um, in the work of the kingdom at this particular time and place, then to go forward boldly, confidently, confidently Christian, and knowing that we won't always have cultural validation, we won't always have um, even our own congregational validation, There'll be times when people disagree with us. There'll be when people leave our church. And each of those is a moment to reflect and to think, okay, have I done something wrong there? Um, But as we continue to bring that to God in prayer and realise, no, that's okay. There are going to be people who disagree with me and I can continue to confidently lead this church in this particular way and realise that ultimately my validation comes from who I am as an adopted child of God. Then 
that will be a protective factor against some of these things that can cause anxiety and depression and burnout and those kinds of things. So my word for ministers would be continue to find validation of who you are in Christ. Um, it's not going to smooth out every obstacle. Um, the New Testament is really clear on that. But it is going to provide a protective factor against your own um, emotional, spiritual, mental well-being as you fight for gospel ministry in sometimes very hard places uh, to know that there is nothing that can take that away from you mm. because of what Christ has done for us. Being a church leader is hard, you? <laughs> yeah, I think we could do a whole podcast on this, but some just, yeah. just some brief thoughts. I think one of the mistakes I made early on was, <coughs> excuse me, um, one of the mistakes I made early on was I read something from a Puritan writer from bygone era who said something like, you know, he was going to ride his horse um, I don't know, he was riding his horse to go and preach somewhere and someone said, don't ride your horse too hard because it might kill the horse. And then someone made an analogy to him, like you're killing your own body, like you're working too hard. And he said, well, I'd rather just, you know, go hard and then talking about himself and then kill my horse sort of thing and go hard. So uh, he didn't put a lot of boundaries around himself and he just went really hard in preaching. I don't know if I've even got that story right, but it's a long time ago that I read it. But... <laughs> Um, my my interpretation of it was I'm just going to work hard I w and you know back in the day when you're young I think it was very rock and roll to say I, I want to burn out rather than fade away mm. but I think that was a mistake <laughs> I think there's a difference between feeling passionate all the time and being passionate and I think you don't always feel passionate I don't think Paul was feeling particularly passionate while he's being stoned or while he's having a massive argument with Barnabas and, and Mark I don't <laughs> think he was feeling particularly passionate um, being shipwrecked, although I think Paul was probably the first surfer recorded in history because oh. he rode aboard to shore, so he probably did get a lot of joy out of that moment, possibly. I don't know. Uh, like to speculate on that. Maybe you could put something in the comments afterwards if you think that was indeed an act of surfing, riding aboard to shore. But I think what I'm trying to say is um, there's there's a passion that you can find in Christ that you can feel so secure and safe in eternity in him and feel like your life is worthwhile because you're serving him that that is a passionate thing but there there needs to be times to rest um i, I one of my i i see a I, I one of the things i do for rest is i go weightlifting i really enjoy that um also like to surf i haven't done enough of that during covid coming out of covid i'm hoping to get going again but doing things like that bushwalking things like that that can be um staying fit and healthy eating well um it's like your other being, passions too. Yeah, right? having other passions. I think it's really important not to... I, I think sometimes pastors in denominations where uh, they're free to drink, I think sometimes they can uh, drink too much. And I think sometimes some pastors self-medicate with food, uh, with alcohol, um, with other things, um, unfortunately. So I think it's really important to be in a community of leadership where you're accountable as well to other people who can speak into your life. Um, I think for me, taking regular holidays is really important mm. that I need to have a break. And so I don't think I think like just driving my horse into the ground and burning out anymore. I do think there is a middle ground between being, you know, fading away and burning out. I think it's just serving Jesus well and... Um, uh, I think, yeah, maybe another podcast we could come back and look at some of those disciplines, but mm. having certain disciplines in, in your life in ministry is important for the long term. Mm. And I also just want to end with saying I think you, it's really helpful to have friends in the church. I think some people say, I've heard some people say don't have friends in your church if you're a leader, but I actually think it's terrific to have people who are very close in the church working together. That can be really helpful because it's not all on my shoulders. We're doing it as a team. Mm. It actually reminds um, we were having breakfast this morning. We were talking about Winston Churchill yeah, and we some were. funny stories about him. But I yeah. didn't I didn't know that he also took up um, bricklaying as a hobby. He did yeah, in order to yeah. like because he'd gone through a lot of rough stuff in yeah. terms of his yeah. career. Yeah. And he took up bricklaying to yeah. Yeah. to kind of he was find very guilty about Gallipoli. Yeah, and couldn't get that guilt and of all those deaths off him, and obviously other things too. So yeah, he used to lay bricks. And he found like yeah, yeah apparently to, was really good at to it help too. him reset how he was yeah. doing it. Apparently and painted as well. Yeah, but, yes, I but he suffered that. from depression and yeah. yeah, I think that's the other thing actually. Like if if you're sad, go see a doctor. Like mm. talk to someone. Don't don't just be silent. You don't have to be strong and quiet and resilient. And mm. you know, um, I think I think there's a lot of pressure put on pastors these days to do everything for everyone. And I think 
you can be a human being and mm. partnering with Jesus is he's Jesus and you're not and you can you can actually just play part of the role in building the kingdom not the whole thing I once had a friend a Christian friend say there's actually strength in your like uh, looking at your vulnerabilities and and being open to them rather than being strong and silent yeah. like you were saying yeah my, my PT says you've got to work out hard and rest hard I think that's really interesting. Mm. He said, if you're going to work out, you actually have to get sleep. Now, there's something just as a, a throwaway for the end there, like how are you sleeping? Do you get a good eight-hour sleep? Is that enough? might not be. Maybe go to bed early, get up when you're ready, and it'll make a massive difference to a lot of other things in your life as well. <laughs> it's funny. It's a last, last little story, but I saw a clip of a podcast saying that if sleep was a drug, it'd be made illegal <laughs> because it was like a weightlifting guy. He said it's so effective it in is, your yeah. recovery and everything. It's that massive. It yeah. would be made as a performance-enhancing drug. <laughs> and, and there is this thing, isn't there, amongst Christian leaders that the more hard, the more hard I work, the more important I am. Mm. Oh, I'm working so hard. I'm not getting much sleep. And there's a lot of talk about, oh, I'm so busy. Well, maybe don't be so busy and, you know, just try and rest hard as well as work hard. I think mm. that's a good one to yeah, that's a good finish one. on. Yeah. We've talked a lot about a lot of things today about vision and looking after yourself as a leader and why that's important to translate into your vision. But thank you so much for your time, mm. guys. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, if you were looking forward to the Shockers Orbit Conference, we have actually decided to postpone it, which is uh, till next year, only because we had a few things going on at church and we wanted to give it its full attention to make sure you had a good time if you did come along. Um, but if you do have any questions about that or or something we've been talking about today, or you need to talk to someone. Uh, we've talked about some things that mm. like could have brought brought up some different things for you. So if you want to mm. talk to someone, we're we're really happy to lend in here. Yeah, so, really happy to. Yeah. yeah. So you can email me at joel at sugarsorbit.com.au and or you can uh, jump on our Discord server if you wish. I also want to say thanks very much to our producer Dave, who does all the editing, also for production assistance from Ethan Crawshaw today as well. So thanks for that, mate. Um, and thank you, Stu and Tim, again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Joel. And, and yeah, everyone, like, we're really happy to have a coffee, mm. a Zoom session, yeah. chat over Messenger or whatever. So, yeah, please get in touch with us if yeah. that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. We, we really welcome that. And But as always, we uh, like to look for our validation in Christ, as you were saying, Tim. So we'll say that by saying one way. One way. One way. One way. One way.